0: Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin. Earlier this month, The Guardian held its advertising upfronts, where the publisher unveiled a new post-cookie solution, new ad formats, and pushed the fact that Guardian readers are more mainstream than you might think. The upfronts came amid what has been an acutely challenging year for many news publishers. Declining support for news from social media companies has forced adaption, and amid now two major wars, advertisers can often be skittish with keyword blocking, avoiding placing ads against trusted sources of information for the sake of brand safety. Here to unpack the state of things as we head straight into the holiday season is the Guardian's Director of Clients, Marketing, and Research, James Fleetham. James helped host the Guardian Upfronts and, I should note, is a member of our Future 100 Club of the industry's next generation of leaders. Going forward, we'll be looking to have on other members of our Future 100 class regularly on this podcast. But, James, it is fantastic to have you as our very first formal Future 100 Club guest of your class. A very warm welcome to you. There we go. Thanks for having me. I'm also joined by my colleague Ella Sagar, who I should note will also be interviewing James as part of our Fishbowl interview series, which will be released in the coming weeks. So James... I won't be asking you any questions about like your favorite media lunch or anything. We're we're doing strictly (laughs) business. Covered. Yeah, that'll come out later. Yeah,
1: perfect. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, Apart from the state of news publishing, we'll also discuss items including media coverage of COP28, Meta allegedly knowingly collecting data of underage users, Google selling ads on questionable sites against their own policy, and the latest intrigue over the Telegraph sale. But James, bef- uh, you know, before we get to all that, yeah. as I alluded to, I want to start by unpacking your upfronts in a little bit more detail. I reported on the event for us a few weeks back, and I have a few follow-up questions for you. But before I I ask, I just want to see in your own words, how would you describe the message you hope advertisers left the upfronts understanding from The Guardian?
1: So I think um, our, our upfronts event really was the unveiling of our new advertising strategy. And the start point of that strategy, the insight, if we want to put it into advertising brief terms, uh, is that it's very possible The Guardian has become more famous for the advertising that we don't do Mm. instead of the advertising that we do do. Um, So we're very famous for refusing fossil fuel advertising. And more recently, we're famous for refusing gambling advertising. And those are decisions that make everybody at The Guardian incredibly proud, very on brand. It actually makes us quite unique. I would say surprisingly unique. We thought more people might follow suit um, given um, modern consumer attitudes. But uh, nonetheless, that's, that's what we're famous for. I work in advertising. Um, I'd like us to be famous for the advertising that we do do. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, uh, there were sort of three key points that we were trying to land at the upfront. So, There's three key parts to this strategy. Um, the first part is what, what is our unique formula for advertisers? The second part is explaining who we are for, which advertisers we're, we're good at serving. And the third part is what you can buy them. Um, So I really hope everyone remembers all three of those parts. But if I had to pick one, I'd want it to be what our unique formula is for advertisers. And our unique formula for advertisers uh, is scale, influence, and integrity. Mm. And I can um, add a little bit on those if you... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sure. I I think,
0: I think part of what struck me as part of that theme, especially when you, when you got into the, I think the examples that were listed at the upfronts of the types of uh, advertisers that have worked with you guys Mm -hmm. because of those reasons. Um, part of what came across to me was that there was a a mainstream factor to, to, to it. It's not that the guardian doesn't do amazing political Mm -hmm. and and hard news reporting. I think that's probably what it's most known for, but that, uh, All the other aspects were highlighted at the upfronts in terms of entertainment reporting or fashion reporting, stuff that is a bit more soft news, as as I would describe it. Um, I mean, would you say that that type of content is increasingly valuable to the sales pitch that you guys make to advertisers? Yeah,
1: I guess. So, you know, a lot of the message, a lot of our focus has has been about myth busting, I guess. Um, So I wouldn't say um, it's more important, but I'd say it's less known. Mm-hmm. So one of the interesting stats I think it's interesting that we shared at our upfronts is 51% of the content the Guardian produces is non-news. Well, I don't think people would assume that immediately. Um, so as I say, it, a lot of it was about myth-busting because we have an incredibly strong brand and we're known for, as I say, those strong, bold choices, fossil fuels, gambling, our quality reporting on hard-hitting stories. Um But we're so much more than that, 51% more than that. And that's that's sort of the the message that we wanted to land. And then sort of like picking up, I guess, on that myth-busting idea. That's where we've arrived upon or how we've arrived upon scale, influence, and integrity. Um, There's a bit of myth-busting, I think, there Mm. there with that as well. So um, – Hopefully some of your listeners will be familiar with The Guardian's latest brand campaign. It's our first brand campaign in in four years. I think I'm right in saying. And our upfronts was kicked off uh, with our CEO, Anna Bateson, former marketeer herself, um, introducing and sharing that, that ad campaign. And what that ad campaign says is that The Guardian is open to all, funded by many, beholden to none, beholden to no one. Um, and I think that's very on-brand and interesting and very Guardian. But I think it's our job to interpret that and say, well, what does that mean to advertisers? And we think it means those three things, scale and inference, integrity. Mm. And so the scale bit, I think, is interesting because I think it's easy to forget just how um, big The Guardian actually is with so much more than a newspaper. Um, you know, 9 million people a day uh, interact with The Guardian whether that's in print, whether that's on our website, award-winning app, podcast, documentaries, um, lots of different ways. And that scale, um, I think, surprises people. Um, and actually, I think it's a really interesting point to land with advertisers because I think at the moment, scale is increasingly difficult for advertisers to attain. You know, you guys would have written about media fragmentation a lot there's just fewer moments when everyone's looking at the same thing at the same time there's not that many i'm a celeb moments mm. um i think their opening show 10 million viewers you know the Guardian's is getting nine million people a day so um we've got scale and i don't think people immediately think of think of us for that but we do so that was an important part of the message
0: mm, mm. what do you say to advertisers that let's say feel skittish about the, the harder news stuff i mean so you have yeah uh, More than half of your content is what you classify as sort of non-news or soft news. But I'm sure you would say that, well, advertisers should still be advertising against the the other stuff, uh, the harder news. But a lot of them, I'm sure, can sometimes feel skittish, especially when you have war coverage, really controversial things. Israel, uh, Hamas going on right now. Russia, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the message when that comes in?
1: Okay, so I think there's a few, there's three key things I would say to those advertisers. The first is that we're more than just news. Okay, so as I said, 51% Mm -hmm. more than just news. Secondly, on that point around the harder news, I think our readers are smart enough to be able to distinguish the difference between what's news and what's advertising. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I think um, they understand that, you know, The Guardian is funded by two things. It's funded by our readers and it's funded by our advertisers and they understand that advertising informs uh, uh, is an incredibly important part of funding the guardian and they love that brand um, so, and, and they value that as as do we and the third part i guess you know really what we're talking about here is brand safety the safest way to work with a publisher is to work with them directly you know that way we have complete control over where your adverts appear you know mm. they could be in the spaces that are most effective for that av- advertising campaign i mean that's just good advertising practice mm. And you know, get the most bang bang for your buck. But also, we can make sure we avoid the spaces um, that you don't want to appear in as well. And you can only do that if you work with an advertiser, uh, with 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 a you know between the advertiser, the agency, and, and the publisher directly. Um, so I think that's interesting. There was an interesting piece, wasn't there? The, uh, I think on the Times uh, yesterday, and I saw. Um, did I see somebody? I saw somebody post on LinkedIn about I think it was uh, Rich Kirk. It perhaps. was, it was. I saw I this I was,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. was going to actually uh, ask about this. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there was this piece on, on the Times basically linking um, uh, TikTok's yeah. uh, conversation around uh, Israel and Hamas and, and Palestine more broadly uh, sure. and, and the conflict there to growing hate. Speech yep. uh, uh, on that platform, but also off that platform. Um, and I actually wanted to read his his quote because I thought it was a really interesting point. Yeah. He said, "quote I wonder how many advertisers will be blocking their ads from appearing next to high quality journalism about the Israeli Palestinian conflict on major news brand sites and apps, yet are unwittingly advertising alongside user generated content and the same subject on TikTok." Uh, unquote. Um, the point being, basically, social media seems like to him is less trustworthy for brand safety than, than news brands would be. And I think that speaks a bit to what you were just saying in terms of you have more control over where the ads get placed. Um, and it begs the question, why aren't advertising be, advertisers being more consistent with their care? I'm curious, Ella, if you had any thoughts or any reactions to that post as well.
2: I think that Rich Kirk makes a good point and that it does seem like there are different rules uh, for social media and for publishers into what where people feel comfortable advertising well rightly or wrongly i think that's it it is one of those things that it's been noted on x as well and and i'm sure other social media platforms are not immune to it and obviously these kinds of conflicts do bring up a lot of of uh news a lot of emotions a lot of of uh things that advertisers are cautious about trying to navigate well where, where is our place and they don't want to be seen to be against the wrong kind of content or supporting something that it doesn't align with their brand. Mm. Uh, but I do think that not supporting j- journalism that reveals these kinds of things would seem to be shooting themselves in the
1: foot. Yeah, mm. yeah I, you know, I just, th- yeah, I totally agree with everything you've said, Ella, and with Rich Rich's post. That's uh, why mm-hmm. I sort of commented, I think I said, think about what you're funding. Mm-hmm. I really like your point, Ella, about, there seeming to be different rules. It does feel a little bit like that. I think um, advertisers rightly have to be really um, cautious about you know where their brand does appear. But you know what what you do know is if you work with a responsible publisher like the Times, which Richard showed, or like the Guardian, then you know that um, the content you're advertising around is um, accurate and responsible. Um, and you don't know that um, if you're advertising in other places. So it seems to me odd. Maybe that you would, um, that the reasons you would avoid that, you know, with with the times of the Guardian, you're you're not actually able to apply that same theory in these other spaces. Mm.
0: Um, well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because social media companies aren't necessarily giving you the opportunity to like say, oh, "I want to be placed next to user generated content yeah. specifically avoiding this subject." Yeah. I mean, they can do their best to try and make that happen, yeah. but it's not uh, necessarily a guarantee.
1: Yeah, and I think the other the, the other interesting point is I think it's it's um, you can quickly, for, you know, without sounding too heavy, you can quickly forget when we talk about online misinformation or fake news, you can say those things and they can almost feel a little bit throwaway comment. But, the, you know, the, this is serious. You know, these mm-hmm. this is having real, um, in really negative impacts on, on the world, on the conflicts, what's happening outside of that conflict, how people are interpreting it, you know, here in the UK and, and in other places as well. It's serious. That's why I think, you know, that sort of, you know, maybe my... Comment sounds a bit flippant, but I think people should be thinking about what they're funding, uh, mm. because it does does have a real impact.
0: Uh, this speaks to the sort of broader uh, issue here of trust, which we've been working to cover a lot mm. this past year. Earlier this week, our editor, Omar Oak spoke with Peter Field about this very issue yeah. um, and how trust is increasingly understood to be majorly impacting ad effectiveness. Yeah. That is, by placing an ad in a trusted media environment, the ad is found to be more effective, uh, according to Field's own research. Mm-hmm. Um I would note that that research is coming out as well while we're in an era of, as you mentioned, increasing misinformation. um, AI-generated content is is a huge concern among the public and politicians and uh, editors alike, according to recent surveys. So Ella, I'm curious, have you seen, what are your your thoughts, I guess, on AI-generated content in uh, media affecting trust? I mean, is that a reason to turn away from uh, large institutions that m- you may have trusted previously that now you can't necessarily believe everything that's coming out of them? Or is it a reason to turn toward those institutions because, okay, maybe they're a bit more reputable?
2: I think for me, it would be the latter. I was actually talking to uh, someone the other day. They sent me a picture and I'm like, I don't actually know if that's a real picture or if it's AI. <laughs> See, I don't know no if you're, believing. you know, like, <laughs> oh, I've got this screenshot of of whatever it might be. And I don't genuinely don't know if it's real or not. And one of the classes that I took for my journalism um, uh, course was around kind of image, reverse image searching and like how to spot fake news. Um, and they'd said to me, oh, this module was not in our course two, three years ago. Like it mm. was, it was, and it was having to be updated all the time because the the woman uh, giving that kind of lecture of, all oh, right, I work for a fake news organization and this is how we check, how would you know if this, image of a protest is real or not. Mm-hmm. Oh okay, so it says that it's this date which is in winter but there's no snow around. Oh and you can do uh what time of day did they say that this happened? What building was it outside? And so you kind of ha- can do that sort of detective work. Yeah. But I think in terms of trust of larger organizations, I think you'd hope that, you know, but then you do want smaller organizations and independent publishers as well to have that right. it's whether you have the resources and tools to use AI in ways that helps the the work and it could help that like think in different ways or it could, but then it is whether it's being used by bad actors. Mm -hmm. And I think we were talking about it the other day, Jack, that it's a very interesting time to enter into the world of journalism over the last few years, as we have, because uh, it has changed so much uh, and AI can, can write so much in, in less than half the time, but is it trustworthy? Mm -hmm. Is it, it does does it make sense and does something are we going to get to a point where a publication might need to say like they would with a trigger warning for instance this post deals with um, suicide or these kinds of difficult issues maybe it would have to say this post was written with the help of AI or this image was produced yeah. with um, by this AI tool or something like that for I think you would need a kind of code of conduct um, and sort of a list of guidelines of okay this is when you would need to announce that you're using AI mm. and when you're not and why you're using it. And some, I don't know if we don't really have a kind of set of rules about when do we use AI? When do we not, but we don't want to kind of put up an article that's completely produced by AI because AI mm-hmm. it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And it's for our readers or, It doesn't really add anything. Mm, There's a big scandal
0: uh, just in the past week. Sports Illustrated, which is a huge U.S. Well, it used to be a really big U.S. uh, sports magazine um, and under new ownership has obviously taken things in a little bit of a different direction and and magazines in general uh, have, have... declined in circulation over the past 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they uh, reportedly published stories by fake AI authors with AI-generated headshots on their author page with that had you know actual bios. Um, they didn't signal, like you said, mm-hmm. that the work was AI-generated. And then when asked about the situation, they deleted the content. They they blamed a, a third party um, for having supplied this that this is unbelievable
2: for... that you'd create a fake AI journalist. I know right. that hits radio... Um, Fleur East did a sort of joke show where AI Fleur replaced her on mm. Halloween. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. listeners really twigged it. They were like, this sounds wrong. Like, because it just took, <laughs> it like took, an took her, yeah, it took her yeah. voice and then uh, it was, you know, doing mm-hmm. the kind of the links and things. Mm. And and they just, they, they sussed it
1: immediately. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: How, how does the Guardian view AI use?
1: Yeah. Uh, so there's probably better people better place people than me to answer that question yeah but i'll give it a go uh actually uh one of the best place people to answer that question would be somebody called chris moran who did post about this very case i saw this morning i think actually he posted his opinion on this something like there's smart ways to use ai and then there's this Uh, (laughs) i think so you you sort of can get uh yeah an idea of how we feel about that from, from his post but i would say um so we, we did set out, and Chris was an important part of that. our AI principles earlier this year, mm-hmm. we have sort of a guiding principle, and, and that would be that any tools or models that we consider, that um, and the degree to which we consider them, we'd 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 overlay like three lenses, I guess, to that, and that would be um, permissioning, transparency, which you've been talking about there, and, uh, and fair reward as well. Um, you know, whereas these AI models getting that information from in the mm. first place? place—the mm. Sort of the IP question, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a working group, and it's made up of colleagues from across the organization. So editorial, creative, engineering, products, legal, uh, commercial partnerships. Um, the whole business is coming together. It has to uh, to consider how we respond to the risks, but also the opportunities that, that AI uh, presents as well. Ultimately, we're in a position where we're not going to rush in, into anything, um, either editorially or commercially. We wouldn't do anything that undermines the trust that we have with our readers. You know, we sort of started talking about this because of trust. And that is really ultimately, if you were to describe, you know, the Guardian's brand in a, in a word, I would I would say it's trust. Um, the, uh, we Generative AI is not used by colleagues to produce journalism. We firmly believe that humans are best placed for journalistic output. And. Um, and we are exploring smart applications of these technologies to understand how they can improve processes, make them more efficient, make us potentially be more creative. But we would always be uh, completely transparent about that. So there's, um, you know, that is how the Guardian interacts with our readers. It's why we have have that trust. There's uh, an interesting section on the Guardian. Inside the Guardian, uh, we have a blog. Uh, and, you, you know, actually anyone that wants to understand more about how we're thinking about AI, you could turn to that blog and um, we can, sh- you know, there's much more information than I'm able to share mm-hmm. on, on, on that blog there. But um, we would always be completely transparent mm-hmm. um, if we've used it, how we've used it. That's the nature of how we work. Do
0: you think it makes your, I don't want to say necessarily a sales pitch, but generally the offer more attractive as, as just as a news brand than previous? I know that we're all worried about AI and misinformation and, and all that, but I, I would assume that news brands see it almost as an opportunity to say, yeah. look, we are not, you know, you can trust us because of all of these policies that yeah. we've just put in place.
1: hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. We become a rarer commodity, right? You mm-hmm. know, if, um, if you, if there's less stuff you can trust out there, the places that you can trust, you know, become more important. I, I would say, uh, that seems common sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trust thing, that was an really important part, you know, going right back to the start, our upfront scale, inference, integrity, integrity really is about trust. Uh, I thought you know we quoted Peter Field at our upfronts. You know time and again here talk about trust being one of the brand effects that is most strongly linked to profit. I know Omar um, interviewed him this week last week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, perfect. So um, you know we, we, you know we talk about that a lot. And again, I think the interesting thing with integrity is that's harder for advertisers to find than ever before. You know this conversation is sort of like testament to that. Um, people have ultimately lost trust in the media. They haven't lost trust in The Guardian. There's there's a few places that people do still trust. We are one of those places. And I think um, we become more important um, because of that.
0: Mm. Just to circle back, I guess, as well to the upfronts, I mean, one of the big announcements that you guys made um, was the sort of unveiling of, well, there's some new ad formats, which uh, are, are exciting, but also a very visual thing mm-hmm. and hard to share uh, about via podcast. But there, there was a, a new post cookie solution uh, that you guys are calling Guardian Light, yeah. And I'm just curious, tell me a little bit more about that, because I know publishers are really working hard right now to make sure that they have a good post cookie offer because yeah. their IP... And their first-party data should, I would think, become more valuable yeah. now that uh, advertisers can't necessarily get user data through cookies.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. So we absolutely believe that, too. I think the timing of this question is very interesting. You know, we know publishers are receiving letters from from the ICO. Um, mm. We feel like we're ahead on the post-cookie future. So with, there isn't another publisher in the UK that we believe that has uh, a solution, the way that we have a solution for this. Uh, I could probably talk a little bit less about the mechanics, like how how the product works. That's not like my area of expertise, but I can talk about like what it enables. And I think the top line on this is ultimately, at the moment, about 30% of people on the open web are hitting rejects all. And when they do that, the Guardian hasn't been able to serve them any advertising until now. So Guardian Light enables us to do that. So it now means that advertisers can reach all guardian readers so that's you know an audience that was previously unaddressable and and they can do that without using any personal data and i think an era of privacy you know that sort of solution is only going to become increasingly important
0: i mentioned this at the top but it's been a, a pretty difficult year for news publishing in general um Social media companies have deprecated their support for publishers on top of all the misinformation stuff that we just mentioned previously. Um, Facebook's done that. Twitter is its own can of worms. Um, we, don't need to get, we don't need to necessarily get into that right now. But uh, there's also been broader economic factors that have made it rather challenging for many. I mean, just the, the digital ad market is uh, a bit woozier than perhaps it, it would have been mm-hmm. without, let's say, uh, Brexit. Uh, I asked um, the Mail Metro Media CRO. Previously, when I interviewed him a few months back, and he mentioned that Brexit actually had been negatively affecting their business. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, has The Guardian felt the bite, be it from Brexit, from social media companies yeah. um, uh, losing their support for for yeah. news on those platforms? And, and what has it been doing to insulate itself?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, certainly from like the social side of things, I think uh, what The Guardian would say is that we are a brand that's always placed huge value on having a homepage. We mm-hmm. think that's important. Um And we've always viewed traffic from third parties as additive to to that. Um, So we don't really rely on referrals from third parties. Other publishers do rely on those more and the publishers that rely on them the most are the most exposed and we're we're not in that bucket. I understand that we're fortunate. We have uh, a very strong brand, perhaps stronger than other publishers. So, we, you know, it, it allows us to pursue that um, that sort of confident strategy, I'd say. Um, it's why we've been able to make the reader revenue model work so well for us. Um, in terms of like how how we, how we, you know, your sort of second part to that question, Jack, I think we do explore other ways to find and engage readers. Like that's that's really, really important. So we do that through newsletters. We do that through podcasts. We do that through documentaries. Uh I always say not many people know, but they probably do now because I say it every time I see someone, Mm -hmm. but the guardian is, uh, has, has has won an Oscar, a BAFTA and three Emmys, you know, so um, we produce documentaries as well. We do lots of different things ultimately is what I'm saying. And all of those things will always bring, you know, uh, bring you back to the guardian, bring you back to To the homepage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, short answer to your question is I think we're less exposed to that because we're less reliant on it and, We've, we've backed ourselves to have a home page for people to come to,
0: and it, basically every publisher, at least that I've spoken to, wants is pursuing a similar type of strategy. Um, although I don't know how many people are, I mean, I have a lot of uh, uh, bookmarked tabs for news organizations. But mm-hmm. I'm also a journalist. <laughs> I don't yeah, know about you, Ella. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the general public might only have one or two or three. Yeah. And so it's it, it's definitely. Um, a competitive area. It's
2: Absolutely. like the presets in your car. If you have a car, like your radio presets, like right. everyone's got their own sort of couple of ones that they might cycle them out yeah. now and then. But it it's quite a counter like one a, hand. It's a spot you know that you have to kind of a coveted spot. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and that has to do entirely with branding and, and trust. I think some of the values that seem like you were mentioning earlier. um I, I'd like to move us into a rapid fire round. Oh, uh, for this round of questions, you only have one minute to respond uh, uh, James uh, just so you know I've been making really good use of this sad trombone uh, sound effect
1: oh I can't wait yeah. okay. so you go over I was just sound effects you haven't got a trombone
0: I,
2: uh, I, were you expecting him to pull out a trombone I was
0: hoping <laughs> I just got one in the, the cabinet back That'd be here. another skill
2: yeah. to add that can play,
0: play <laughs> yeah.
1: trombone that would have been fun
0: well, well I'm oh, sorry Jack. to disappoint, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the sound effect right in front of me on, yeah. so, but that's not good okay. enough for you Let's I guess. Hear it. Um, no, well, don't don't go over and you won't have to hear uh, it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Fine. Um, so okay. Uh, today marks the the first day of COP28. Yeah. Uh, I know the issue of sustainability is actually really close to the Guardians heart yeah. you mentioned, uh, you refuse to take advertising for fossil fuel yeah. companies. Guardian also invests a lot of time and money into coverage of the climate crisis, uh, as does uh, a few other outlets, including the BBC, which uh, reported this week that the UAE is hoping to use the conference to make Mm. oil deals. Um, is there a link between a loss of trust in institutions over the climate crisis and a loss of trust in media more generally? Uh, Ella, why don't you take a stab at that first? Oh, you had to oh, give that, so that one, one to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I think that, in short, well, I think yeah, loss of trust, loss of it. It would make sense if there was a loss of loss of trust in media in general that would impact the kind of loss in trust and sustainability and um, and coverage of the climate crisis. I do think that. There are some exceptions, though, where there are certain brands. The Guardian springs to mind, but Channel 4 recently, their yeah. campaign where they're really trying to hammer home the government and big corporations' lack of responsibility over these issues could ch- turn the tide on that. And uh, another recent campaign make uh for make my money matter mm. i'm not sure if you guys seen it with um oblivia uh, yeah. colman mine. colmine oh, yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> Olivia colmine
2: yeah, it and richard curtis um so olivia colman starring in a Richard curtis made kind of ad for make my money matter which is about pensions and not many people would know that their pensions are being invested in fossil fuels mm. uh, but i think it's around something crazy about 80 million or more yeah. pounds um, annually in the uk so those kinds of things show what advertisers can do to, and publishers and broadcasters can do to kind of reverse that kind
1: of trend Mm. james anything dad uh i think uh well the richard curtis made my money matters stuff is quite interesting we Mm. actually had uh so to celebrate climate week at the guardian uh we organized a series of talks and events and things like that and richard came in actually to share a little bit more about that campaign which was super interesting I, i mean to your original question i don't know if there's a link i do know that there's a lot of reporting and claims on this subject that can't be trusted It's one of the reasons we banned fossil fuel advertising in the first place. Um, I think, yeah, so, you know, time of the question is good. It it coincides with COP. Um, The Guardian actually published our latest environmental pledge yesterday, and a big reveal within that was our biodiversity audit. I think we're only the second organisation in the UK of sort of like um, a certain size to have published that sort of information. One of the things that we learned with that is it's very hard to get um, that that sort of information and understand businesses' impact on nature. Is it any wonder wildlife has declined so quickly since the 70s, given how difficult it is to get those those sorts of answers? Um, we will report on COP. We report on the climate all, all year round. We, yeah, I think we've got over a dozen staff reporting on this subject. I don't think anyone else staffs their newsroom in quite that way. We publish a story on the environment every three hours um 65 million people read our environmental journalism every single year it's something we're in, incredibly proud of and one of the main reasons people come to come to the guardian and support the guardian as well mm.
2: may i just add on that the investigation into air pollution in europe that the guardian europe did yeah, as launched. the launch of their kind of homepage and newsletter was incredible um yeah i really appreciated that if anyone wants to read that
0: mm. Uh, James, you did sadly go over. So Wait the trombone. Well, you, you're actually not wearing your headphones right now, so you're oh, not going to hear it. it.
1: Yeah. But I, I, I'll play it right now anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you get any so of much, that? I did. I got a bit <laughs> now, actually, put the headphones on. There was so much more I could have said. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, you're
0: right. If you go over, you may as well just uh, yeah, just, just keep going. Just keep going. You're gonna
1: make miss, me miss bad. Right. Mm.
0: Um, so more related news uh, to the UAE. Per reports, Tory backbenchers uh, have been alarmed at a potential sale of the mm. Telegraph and the Spectator to an Abu Dhabi-backed bidder, Redbird IMI. The proposal, it's worth noting, is being driven in part by ex-CNN chief Jeff Zucker, um, especially given the story you just mentioned about the UAE being um, a bit untrustworthy, let's say, about with putting ethical interests over business interests, uh, or, or vice versa, in fact. you know, Should the Telegraph or, or any British paper really be sold to foreign interests in a country like the UAE um, uh, or just foreign interests in general? I know the FT uh, was sold to Nikkei. Yeah. That was a while ago now. Yeah. Um, obviously, Japan is a slightly different country politically than the uae is um ella why, why don't you start uh if you have any thoughts uh sorry to keep throwing you under the bus
2: um i was I was trying to gather my thoughts uh no yeah. it, i i was very surprised to f- see jeff zucker's names resurface mm-hmm. uh in into this bid in yeah. this way and um again the kind of the way that they're they're going about is a kind of a joint bid to try and pay off the telegraph and spectator's loans to Lloyd's Bank and it's under review and uh obviously there are other interested parties as well and I I don't know I think a lot of people in the UK whether they're telegraph readers or not would be quite uh worried about the prospect of this and I don't know if that's because it's a foreign investor or if it's this specific
1: mm. foreign investor to be completely honest with you
0: mm. James, do you have any thoughts?
1: Well, I think the concern with this is that the purchases are state-owned. Uh, mm. So uh, William Hague recently wrote in The Times expressing his concern for um, the UAE's commitment to freedom of expression. And I think when a former uh, foreign secretary, former leader of the opposition, not exactly known for his radical views, um, sort of says those things, it's probably worth listening to. I believe the UAE ranks 145th in the RSF freedom of expression in index um lower quadrant basically yeah yeah. lower quadrant so i think um you know to contrast that you know we you know sort of can only speak for yourselves i think that the guardian we are truly independent we don't have a billionaire billionaire owner we don't have shareholders i guess what we say is we're protected from outside commercial pressures and not every media organization is like that which makes the ones that are i think even more important, press freedom is ultimately like a really important pillar of democracy. I think really the question on this is, is this compatible with the UK's history of freedom of expression?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's a a great question. Um, And, you know, I think- You wrote it. Well, no, no, no. The, <laughs> question, the question you just asked. I <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll give myself a pat on the back for, for bringing up the topic. I, no, I, I, I think it's an important question to ask whether a, a country with a, a bad history of, of mm. supporting liberal values can n- necessarily invest in and be one of the main owners in a uh, paper that, that supports liberal values. Yeah. A complaint unsealed last weekend by attorneys general of 33 U.S. states alleges Meta has received over a million reports of under 13 accounts on Instagram, but has chosen to disable only a fraction of those accounts. What should be done to hold social media companies accountable for collecting user data on underage users? Ella, uh, I'll give you a break from from
1: <laughs> uh, James. Thanks for giving me the easy one, James. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so, uh, you know what what I'll say on this is this is in the US. I don't really know the details of this case. Yeah. What I would also say is there are new laws passing to prevent online platforms from exploitative practices. Um, we've had the online safety bill, uh, the online safety act, act just passed in the yep. UK. That's going to come into effect in the next few months. So, hopefully, that will make a difference. Let's see.
0: Yeah, for for U.S. owned companies, do you think they'll have to change their their jet, their global uh, uh, business practices because of the online safety bill in the UK? Or? I think we we'll
1: have to see how it plays out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Ella, what, what what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think the with this and the underage accounts, I think it was described in the filing or in the complaint as an open secret uh, mm-hmm. that there were so many and that there was they weren't being removed from from the platforms. The other thing I'd like to note is it's not the only thing that that social media has been in the news for this week. It was the um, Molly Russell's father founded a charity um, about social media and its impact. And Molly Russell, if you're not aware, was, is a, uh, was a 14-year-old girl who unfortunately um, killed herself and it was found that social media and negative content related to depression, suicide and anxiety contributed to that. Um, and he said today that um, social media companies were still showing that kind of content to people. And I think the words that he was used was like pumping that content t- towards young people. Mm. And that is, I think, a really big issue for young people generally, but particularly if they are really young. Like I don't think you could really uh, deal with that kind of content at any age. it's not it's not pleasant at all. But um, that's also a major issue,
0: yeah. I mean, the the this was something that was talked about a lot at the um, Can event that I was just at the Conscious Advertising Network, um, you know, talking, championing about okay success with the um, passing the online safety bill, but also this is you know has a real negative impact and social media companies aren't necessarily being held to account yet or, or have never really. Um, especially you have an issue of collecting data about young kids and then serving them very targeted uh, material based off of sometimes the very worst things that they might be thinking that any teen might be thinking
2: the online safety bill could be uh, a kind of an example to, that could set an, uh, for other countries to follow that would then mean i think unless maybe just in the uk if there was one bill might not have as much of an impact but if other countries then have their own versions which i'm sure they are working on mm-hmm. their own versions mm-hmm. of that legislation it could it could be impactful um fines that's the only re- the thing that would make
0: a difference well fines that are more than a, the equivalent yeah. of a speeding yeah case. if they yeah. can fine
2: up to what was i think it's up to 10 percent or something or uh, maybe i'm getting that 10 percent of wrong. revenue or yeah something? Wow. something like that but they can they can yeah. issue pretty big fines yeah but uh i'd have to check on that 10 percent number
0: mm. <laughs> right um i need to be big
2: yeah big yeah otherwise it's Doesn't it's work. not even a speeding ticket
0: Right, right. Uh, A new report by Analytics found that Google has served ads on hundreds of questionable sites in violation of its own policies. Uh, That's a choice word. Uh, These these sites include pornography sites, sites hosting pirated material, sites that may be under sanction by the U.S. government related to Iran or Russia, among others. Uh, Is this uh, another example of you know, the flaws inherent to the lack of transparency and accountability in digital advertising more generally. Uh, Ella, what do you mm. think? Or, or is this something just very Google specific?
2: This isn't the first analytics report about Google, mm. um, but I was looking through the report and some of the ads appearing next to the the kind of content that, and, and websites were shocking. And I think that not knowing where your ad is being placed and kind of trusting that your ad is going to be on a set list of, of, of websites and it's going to fulfill these sorts of criteria, which is the guarantee that Google offers that. And you're, you know, there's a lot of money going into this. That's unsurprising. So yes, the lack of transparency, uh, is definitely more than a cause for concern.
0: Mm. I mean, James, it gets, it gets into what we were talking about earlier, a little bit of just not knowing exactly where yeah. your, your ads are.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So again, not super close to the details of this, uh, uh, example that you've shared, uh, but I don't think it's controversial to say that there is a lack of transparency in, in the industry. Uh, and yeah, ultimately, if if we talk so much about brand safety. You're never going to be brand safe if you don't know. You can't be 100% brand safe if you don't know where your advert's is showing up. That's just common sense.
0: James, uh, final question for you. Okay. We've been trying to ask this question of of all our guests on here that, that we can. I want to know, why are you so passionate about media what what makes you passionate about working in this industry
1: um so um i well i think look media is what's going on in the world so uh who doesn't who doesn't want to know that you know i I think you know ultimately i think that's the 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 short answer to your question the slightly longer answer would be um i'm not passionate about all media my very first job we've probably spoken about this before uh was selling adverts in the back of a have I got news for you? Style magazine packaging news. Uh, lead chasing uh, from our fiercest rival. Yeah, plastic, and I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I wasn't very passionate about that. I am passionate about working at the Guardian. You know, I love working at a place that feels like it's at the centre of something really important, surrounded by you know the brightest, most interest- interesting people. You know, helping me better understand what's going on in politics, the news, as we talked about in this show, but also what's happening in the Premier League. Uh, You know, what should I be watching on TV tonight? Um, It's just such an interesting place to work. So I'm very passionate about working at The Guardian. And who doesn't want to know what's going on?
0: Mm, Well, I I certainly agree as a journalist. um well james thanks so much that's a wonderful answer and thanks so much for for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it ella thank you as well Uh, well you're always here so i can thank you i I get to thank you a million
1: times we're in ella's office (laughs) all right thanks guys thank you for listening to the media leader podcast this episode was edited by our production partners trisonic find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts but just remember please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode from all of us at the media leader i'm editor omar oaks our executive producer is jack benjamin see you next time